This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Inna alhamdulillah hamdan kathiran tayyiban mubarakan fi alhamdulillahi wa kafa wa salatu wa salamu ala mustafa صلى الله عليه وسلم وعلى آله وأصحابه ومن ولا Dear respected Muslim brothers and if there happen to be any non-Muslim guests with us our respected Imam Abu Bakr, my Imam Alameen Abdul Latif, and my colleague Brother Malik Abdul Rahim, all the respected elders and brothers and responsible people who administrate this institution to IBN and and of course to the government who put a stamp inside my passport and gave me the visa to come in. We are thankful, we're grateful, and we are not we are not stained by bad manners. And what we dislike, sometimes we tolerate. And what we like, we say Alhamdulillah. And I thank the Imam for this invitation because actually this invitation he gave me close to four years ago. Was it about four years ago, Imam? We were on Arafat together. What better place could two old soldiers meet than on Arafat? And he invited me then. And the invitation wasn't to come to speak. He invited me to come to understand, to share, to see, to collaborate with the work that had been initiated under his leadership. And to me that was a great honor. But Allah is the best of planners. After he made the invitation, we were trying to, to do the logistics. But busy men are busy men. And shaitan is also busy. So Allah, he planned it this way. That the invitation that the imam made, it echoed and reverberated. And it came a different way. Nevertheless, we're here. And I will do my best to grace this place which I'm standing in. Um, commensurate to the grace which the Imam has offered because when you stand in the place of another person not only should you do your best to fulfill the, the mandate but you should be respectful of the history that precedes you the first time in my life that I was ever called his excellency but I take that from the Imam as a compliment because we come from such 
lowly places that when we arrive by the grace of Allah somewhere that deserves any respect yes I accept that from the Imam but he's also then his excellency because there are people whom Allah describes as Sharrul Bariya who are called his excellency and so if there are those who worship Allah who are part of the Khairul Bariya then why not we should take it with humility and yes we did intend to visit the Imam and I, I went to the maximum security prison on just a couple of days ago and it was by the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah took the Imam out but we still went in and did our job Alhamdulillah so we get the benefit of doing that job and still being here with the Imam in a better setting brothers and sisters um, you know before I came here um, one of the things that I tried to do is I tried to research I don't like to arrive places and don't know where I am, who the people are, what the situations and circumstances and environment has developed. So I went on the internet and did a little work, did a little research to see the last 20 years of the dynamics of this country and to see in particular the social and political dynamics uh, of this country including those that have been initiated by our Imam Yasin Abu Bakr Jamaat al-Muslimin and the other Muslims because I wanted to walk into an environment that I reasonably understand and therefore I can address the people not just from a piece of paper but I can address them as a sociologist is supposed to do and one of our pioneers, his name was Ibn Battuta. You should keep that name in mind. Ibn Battuta was one of the followers of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam in the 8th or 9th century Hijra. Ibn Battuta was a historian. He was also a sociologist. He was a Muslim activist. And he was also a merchant. And Ibn Battuta traveled from Tangiers, North Africa, all the way to China. There were no airplanes, no trains, you know, no automobiles. But Ibn Battuta covered over 73,000 miles in his travels. Ibn Battuta was such a profound human being, follower of the Prophet ﷺ, following that tradition of the Prophet ﷺ, that he used to say, I refuse to accept the description of a people until I see them eat their food, 
enjoy their climate, then I will write about them. So Ibn Battuta with that traveled from Tangiers following the silk route, they called it the silk trade route, all the way to China. And he was such a man that the Chinese emperor at that time, when he heard Ibn Battuta speak through a translator, he marveled because he never heard a person speak like that. And the Chinese at that time thought that all black people were heathens. He thought that. Well, Ibn Battuta was a black man. But he was not a heathen. He was a Muslim and well-refined. And when he heard the speech of Ibn Battuta and things he said and the refinement of his language and the reminders and the advice that he gave to the Chinese people in front of the emperor. The emperor was trying to think, what I can give this man? What can I give this man? At that time, Muslims had everything. So what do you think the emperor gave to Ibn Battuta? He gave his daughter. That Chinese emperor gave to Ibn Battuta his daughter. Today, there are more than 81 million Muslims in China. It was the behavior, it was the refinement, it was the mandate and the conduct, the wisdom, the magnitude of the Prophet and the companions of the Prophet and the tabi'een and the atba'a tabi'een that he drew from. And what that Chinese emperor was impressed by wasn't Ibn Battuta, it was Muhammad because we are carrying a reflection of Muhammad and if any one of us or thousand of us, if we really carry the reflection of the Prophet if the Chinese emperor was impressed, you know that simple people of Trinidad will be impressed. And they will try to find what they want to give to us. And I think to myself, the best thing they can give to us is the seat of power. But that only comes if we are responsible and if we are accountable, not just because we are Muslims. Allah will place the earth under our feet and He will command the earth to be still and to receive our ordinance as He ordered the ocean to fulfill its command and not to drown Musa and his people You see, water is wet and the ocean will drown, but it gets its command to wet and to drown from Allah. So Allah took the command of drowning out of the water, so they was able to go through and then after that, Musa touched the water and it gave back the water, the command to drown and so Fir'aun and his people was drowned. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He took for His servant Ibrahim alayhi salam. He made the fire 
cool, although fire, the kind of fire that they built for Ibrahim, was a huge fire, so that birds that flew over it fell inside of it. But when Ibrahim was pulled through that fire, Allah said to the fire, O oh fire, be cool, chill out for my servant Ibrahim. So Allah took from the fire its ability to burn his servant. And Allah can take the oppression of the disbelievers and the corruption of the unbelievers and Allah can take the condition of suffering in the earth for his servants when they really begin to serve him. We have to believe that. But Allah doesn't change the condition of a people until, until people change what? The condition inside of themselves. So in following up on the theme that was set by our brother and followed up by uh, Imam Alameen Abdul Latif and also mentioned by the Imam, I want to talk about a set of stages, milestones that we can implement as Muslims to solidify our status in the sight of Allah, to unite our ranks, to build our community, to honor our leadership, it was mentioned that from 1978 this movement I don't like to call it organization you know because so many people establish something and call it an organization and by that we sometimes are deceived no this is a movement to establish the deen of Allah that's what the Dalai Islam movement was and it was correct irregardless of what happened irregardless of whether we were immature before our time or mixed up or whatever people want to say it was right and it's right now it was more right it is more right today than it was then why because that was then and this is now what we have to do the old soldiers and the new ones coming we get to learn from the mistakes and we got to be humble enough to repent and do what the prophet Yunus did you know, when he got so frustrated with the people and you know he he, he uh, instead of him waiting for Allah to give him the command, you know, he just got so frustrated with the people that he just said, I'm getting up out of here. I'm just leaving. Forget these folks. I'm getting up out of here. So he got on the boat. And some anarchy took place on the boat. And they throwed him off the boat. And when he got thrown off the boat, he got swallowed by a whale. And when he found himself in the belly of the whale, inside that hot 
acid inside the belly of the whale. And anybody here who's a marine biologist will tell you that the acid inside the body of a whale can burn paint off of a car. Can literally consume whatever comes inside the whale because the whale is a mammal. And whatever it digests, the acid inside breaks it down. But the acid inside of the whale is 70 times hotter than the acid inside our stomachs. So when the whale swallowed Yunus Salam, one, it saved him from drowning. SubhanAllah, think of that. At least he has some room inside the belly. It saved him from drowning. But when he got inside, he remembered. What did he say? He, he wasn't angry at the whale. He wasn't angry at the people who threw him in the boat. No, the first thing that Yunus said, because he's a prophet. And prophets have a knee jerk that when they get in a situation, they have a knee jerk to do what? Call upon Allah. As Allah says, Ad'uni astajib lakum. Call upon me and I will answer you. So Yunus salam, he called upon Allah. And what did he say? La ilaha illa anta subhanaka inni kuntu min al-dalimeen. Verily, O oh Allah, there is no God except you. Glory be to you. Verily, I am of the ones who oppress himself. So he made tawbah. And when he made tawbah, that whale, which is an intelligent mammal, heard that dua and swam to the shore directly and spit him out, vomited him out, because he cannot keep in his stomach a prophet who made that kind of dua. And then the vomit of the whale formed a saliva over him. So when the sun came, it dried it and protected him. See how Allah, he protects his servants after they have been thrown or in a fire or after they have been pushed to the water, to the edge, after they have been swallowed by the whale. See how Allah saved his servants? So I say, oh Muslims, look at the example. Read the Qasasul Anbiya. Read the stories of the Anbiya and learn from them because those are our stories. And what about the Prophet ﷺ? When he went to Ta'if and he lost all of his allies. And he went to Ta'if looking for more allies. Because he's a, you know, he's a natural thinker. He know he got Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He got the malaika. He know all of that. But he also knows he eats food, he drinks, and he also needs allies from among the people. So he went to Ta'if seeking allies. And when he got to Ta'if seeking allies, what did he find? He found people that ridiculed him, scorned him, cursed at him, spit at him, and set urchins upon him to throw rocks at him and run him out of the city. Now, if that was me and you, we would be very angry to be set upon, to be cursed and spit at and disrespected and so forth and so on. We would be angry. 
And we would be prepared to use our resources to try to respond to that insult. But the Prophet ﷺ being rahmatul So we are the ummah of Muhammad ﷺ and we should make that halak. We make the dua of the Prophet ﷺ because he was rahmatul When he stood outside of Ta'if in a pitiful state, you see, dejected, humiliated, blood running down his leg with his sandals sticking to his feet from the blood. He sat down on a stump of a tree and he was not angry. What he was thinking was that maybe Allah is not pleased with him. Maybe he ain't executing his mission correctly for him not to get the help and be treated like this. That's how he was thinking. Again, not blaming, but always introspection. So in that situation, Jibreel salam came and said, Salam to you from Allah. Subhanallah. Look at that. O Muhammad Sallallahu Allah, he said, Salam to you. And if you like, you can, we will bring and order the angels of these mountains, you see, on the different sides of Taif, to come together. Destroy them. The Prophet وسلم, he could have done that. But what did he do? He said, no. What I prefer is that they be passed over. Because maybe their progeny will accept Islam. Today, Taif is everybody's Muslim in Taif. See how the Prophet saw him wisdom. And when the Prophet saw him came back after all the battles, after his companions have been killed and persecuted and thrown out and properties have been confiscated and so forth and so on. When the Prophet came back with 10,000 strong and took Mecca, he had the chance to pay everybody back, didn't he? But what did the Prophet do? He gave everybody amnesty. This is our Prophet Muhammad and we have to learn from those lessons. Brothers and sisters in Islam, I want to remind you that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Quran, Verily this brotherhood of yours is one single brotherhood and I am your Lord. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says, إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ إِخْوَةً فَاصْلِهُ بَيْنَ أَخْوَيْكُمْ Verily this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Verily this, Verily, the believers, their relationship to each other is that of brotherhood, fraternity, love, affection, cooperation, support, collaboration. Faslihu. Make islah. Reconcile. Arbitrate. The relationship between them, your contending brothers. In order that you may receive mercy. So this brotherhood is what we have. And without this brotherhood, there can't be no establishment of Islam. This is what you got to understand. No individual going to establish Islam. No group going to establish Islam. No Islam going to be established by the brotherhood. But the brotherhood is not that group or that group. The brotherhood. Is the Muslims wherever they are under organized leadership. The brotherhood is a community. 
But there are two rules that we have to apply in brotherhood. Those two rules are fundamental for our aqidah. Those two rules is called al-wala and al-bara. Al-wala, the loyalty that we have towards Allah and His Messenger وسلم, the loyalty that we have towards the Quran and the Sunnah, the loyalty that we have for Islam, al-wala wal-bara, and every Muslim comes under our wala. Even if they are a sinner, even if they are a criminal, no matter who they are, they still come under our wala. We don't have wala with their sins. We don't have wala with their transgression. But we have wala with their saying, there is none to be worshipped except Allah, and that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. And we can never forget that. Allah says, Allah waliyu ladina amanu yukhrijuhum min al-dhulumati ila nur Walladhina kafaru awliyauhum al-taghut yukhrijunahum min al-nuri ila al-dhulumat Ulaika ashab al-nari hum fiha khalidun So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes the bara Bara means the rejection, the repulsion of kufr and shirk As it has been mentioned by some of our predecessors in this small statement al islamu istislamu lillahi bitawheed wal inqiyadu lahu bitaati wa ruddul shirk wal kufr wa ahlihi it says al islam is istislam surrender to allah lillahi according to the rule of tawheed and surrendering to him, Allah, with obedience to Quran and Sunnah. And the rejection of shirk and kufr, and all of their branches and all of their relatives. This is our relationship, this is our brotherhood. And we don't care about the sins of a believer except by to regulate them. If we can regulate the believers, we can contain their sins. But if we can't regulate them, then we're lost. We become a lawless people. And Allah will punish us like He punished other people. In fact, He will double the punishment upon us. This is our brotherhood. The next thing Allah says, Faslihu akhawaykum. Faslihu. Make islah. Bring peace. Bring reconciliation. Bring arbitration. Bring somebody to sit down and make peace between the brothers. Make agreements, make treaties, make bay'ah, make contracts, make the peace. And don't nobody be so arrogant as to say, no, I'm justified to keep my position, I ain't making... No, Allah SWT didn't because there's another place Allah say, and for those who refuse to make peace but they continue in their transgression, then all of you bring your hands together against that one. This is the rule of Islam. Ain't no party spirit. Ain't no party spirit. Reconciliation is what we need today. As I see it, Trinidad, Tobago, Guyana, Jamaica, the Caribbean, going up north, North America, United States, Canada, move over to the other side, UK, Australia, the whole thing, wherever the Muslims are, we need reconciliation. Muslims got to reconcile their differences. I ain't say you got to love somebody who's on the other side of your ideology. No. But you got to respect them if they are Muslim. 
You ain't got to be with people who you think is people of bid'ah. You ain't got to be with people who you think of heresy. You don't have to be with people whom you think is of deviant. No, but you got to respect them because they're Muslims. Because if you don't respect them, then every Muslim whom you don't respect becomes your enemy. And you become an enemy of them. And as long as there's brothers got enmity between each other's, then there can't be no brotherhood. One of the companions of the Prophet Sallallahu came in one day. And brother, I don't want to talk too long. Is that all right? Good. One of the companions of the Prophet Sallallahu came inside the house of the Prophet Sallallahu one day. And other companions were sitting there. After he left, the Prophet Sallallahu said, There is a man of Jannah. You know, the companions said, Wow, check that out. You know, when the Prophet Sallallahu said something like that, that's profound. That means something this man did, the Prophet said, this man of Jannah. So one of the companions of the Prophet said, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to go stay with him for a few days, see what he do. He said he stayed with him for three days. He ain't seen nothing different than nobody else was doing. So he asked him, oh so-and-so, what did you do for the Prophet said to say so-and-so? Well, one of the things the man said, which is the most important for us, he said, Wallahi, I never go to sleep, but that I clean my heart of any ghilla towards any believer. I clean my heart from any enmity, any malice, any hatred towards any Muslim. Oh Muslims, I say, let us clean our hearts of any malice, any hatred, any enmity towards any Muslim. Making reconciliation calls for us to follow the Quran and the Sunnah above all else. I don't care how much you love me, how much you love the Imam, this Imam, that Imam, whoever over there, up across in Lebanon, in Africa, in Afghanistan. I don't care who it is who you think championing the cause of Arabs, of Asians, of black folks, of slaves, of, of rich folks, whoever they are leading the Muslims, they do not deserve any ultimate obedience. No, no. The ultimate obedience is only for whom? Allah. After that, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ati Allah wa ati al-Rasul wa ulul amr minkum. Absolute obedience for Allah. Absolute obedience for the Prophet But conditional obedience for the rulers. Because that condition is that they themselves is obedient to Allah and His Messenger So we don't get hung up on no kind of leadership fixation. That we don't get hung up on no celebrity status. That we don't get hung up like other people got hung up. So that the Prophet he said, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to bless a leader. He puts around him people that if he have a good idea, they will support him. They will support him and protect him in it. And if Allah wants to, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to cause a leader to lose his eminence, then Allah puts around him people so when he think of something bad or suggests something bad, the people, they don't say nothing. See? Let me back up. He says, when Allah wants to bless a leader, 
He puts around him people. So that if he says something good, they support him in it. And if he says something bad, they say, they advise him. See? They advise him. But if Allah wants something other than that for a leader, he put around him people. That if he think of something good, they don't help him. And if he think of something or say something bad, they don't advise him. He said, the worst of your leaders is those whom you curse and they curse you. And the best of your leaders is those whom you love and they love you. It is all based upon wala wal bara. It is all based upon Quran and Sunnah. This is where our allegiance lies at. It doesn't lie at the root of individuals. Because this imam, that imam, this imam, speaker, whomsoever they are, going to be inside the dirt and the belly of the grave soon. Then who will you have loyalty to? If you had forgotten the al-wala wal-bara, if you had neglected the Quran and the Sunnah, you will be right back in the jahiliyyah from where you came. Because that's what the Arabs happened to them. After the Prophet Sallallahu passed away, what some people did, immediately, they came to Abu Bakr the first, the first rebellion. The people came to Abu Bakr and said, Ya Abu Bakr, we respect you. You are the Khalifa, but we're not going to pay no zakat to you. We're going to keep the zakat for ourselves. Now I don't want y'all to get to thinking that I'm talking about a particular issue, so don't be thinking like that now. This just happened to be part of my talk. I ain't trying to highlight nothing because I don't do that. You know, we don't be winking and blinking and saying something off to the side. If I was going to address something in particular, I would be addressing that in particular. I'm not. So let me continue. They said, oh, Abu Bakr, that's a different Abu Bakr, the Khalifa. <laughs> so that if the brothers play this back, they don't think I'm talking about this Abu Bakr. Huh? So they said, oh, Abu Bakr. We respect you, but we're going to keep the zakat for ourselves, distribute among ourselves. Abu Bakr, he said, no. No, you paid the zakat to the Prophet وسلم, and I'm his successor. And paying the zakat to the Prophet وسلم, is a mandate, it is wajib. You don't have the right to determine what you will do because the Prophet وسلم, is the receiver of the zakah and he is the distributor of the zakah. And if you violate that, you are taking the amr. No. Wallahi, if you hold back this amount, like the, the, the leather between the toes of a sandal, Wallahi, I fight you as apostates. And Abu Bakr, he spent two years of his life fighting those apostates. Now, when he said that statement, Omar, who was rough, Omar, who was known to be strong, he and others said, Ya Abu Bakr, how you do that? These are Muslims. You can't do that. He asked them, if they said they won't pray, will they be Muslims? He said, no. If they won't fast, are they Muslims? He said, no. If they refuse to make hajj, are they Muslims? No. If they believe in someone other than Allah and follow someone other than his messenger, are they Muslims? He said, no. Then wallahi, if they hold back the zakah, they are not Muslims. So this is the hukum of Abu Bakr. Abu Bakr Siddiq, 
So these is Muslims who were with the Prophet wasallam. So the rebellion started right then because we are people like that. When you are following, you're hung up on a person. Because Omar, he also, you remember, when the Prophet wasallam passed away, he loved the Prophet wasallam so much and others loved the Prophet wasallam so much, they didn't want to accept the Prophet wasallam died. Omar took out his sword and said, if anybody say the Prophet is dead, I'm going to kill him. I cut his head off. And people were silent. They couldn't say nothing. But Abu Bakr, here he goes again. That soft man. That man that cried so much in the prayer that Aisha said, Oh, Prophet him, please don't let my father lead the prayer. He cried too much. That man who cried too much, when Umar said that, he stood up. He said, Oh, people. Verily, if any of you worships Muhammad Wasallam, Muhammad is dead. But if you worship Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is hayyun da'imun la yamut. And Umar, he sat down, he cooled out. So Muslims, let's stay on the wala and bara. Let's stay on the Quran and the sunnah. And let's establish our brotherhood. Let's build and let's build the brotherhood back. Let's do reconciliation between the brothers who have harmed each other. Let's do reconciliation between the Muslims of different ethnicities. Let's do the reconciliation between brothers of different ideologies. Let's do the reconciliation between the Muslims of the West and the East and the this and the that. Let's let the Imams who have some justifiable reasons not to sit together, let's them come together and see how they can establish reconciliation between themselves. Then let the followers follow suit. Because if we don't do that, don't fool yourself. You will not inherit what Allah has, what Allah speaks about in the Quran. You won't inherit that. That leads us to the fact that to do all of this calls for humility. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned Establish the sabr between each other. Seek help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if we want to correct our condition here or anywhere else. Look at this formula. Seek the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with what? Sabr. And what is sabr? Sabr is ta'awan. Sabr is tawasaw. Sabr is to have hub. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in Hadith al-Qudasi. We'll come back to this ayah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in Hadith al-Qudasi. He says, Aina al-mutahabuna bijalali. On the day of judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes from a longer hadith. On the day of judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say, Where are those who used to love one another for my sake? This day, when there is no other shade except my shade, I will give them shade. Who is he talking about? The people who used to practice brotherhood. In another hadith al-Qudasi, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned that the paradise opens up on Mondays and Thursdays and Allah admits whom he will to the paradise. 
And so the believers will be entering the paradise. Then Allah will cause two men to stop. He will say, Hatta Hatta They will be stopped, prevented from entering until they what? Until they reconcile their differences. So brothers, reconciling the differences, man, burying the hatchet or burn the nine millimeter or burn, burying that curse or that insult or burying that transgression or burying whatever it is that be inside of us creating all of this pus and vomit and bad feelings and building the walls between us and preventing leaders from sitting down and preventing the followers from praying together and preventing the sisters from being together and our families having presence and bringing our dignity and our power and our distinction to this island and to the rest of the world. This is what prevents us. That's what's on the, that's, that's the problem. Don't blame others, don't blame Bush, don't blame Blair or Manly or whoever. Don't blame them, blame us. Because we got enough. We got enough to arrive at a place of distinction. Allah has already blessed us. It's us holding it back. We're holding back the dawah. We're holding back the power. We're holding it back by our actions, by our behavior, by our arrogance. And I say to you, and I say to myself, we need to make tawbah. I didn't say you committed fornication or adultery or lying, stealing, cheating, the big kebab. I didn't say that. I say make tawbah. Make tawbah. Tawbah eat Allah. The Muslims need to spend some time making tawbah. Tawbah nasihat. Good tawbah. Sincere tawbah. Tawbah for what Allah knows that others don't know. Because Allah said he know what you do when you go out and he know what you do when you behind the doors. Make tawbah Muslims. Make tawbah tonight. Make tawbah tomorrow. Make tawbah consistently until our tawbah is accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because when the tawbah is accepted by Allah, then the forgiveness is given. Say, Astaghfirullah Rabbi min kulli dhanbin wa atubu ilayk. Say, Astaghfirullah 100 times a day, as the Prophet sallallahu said. Then after you make istighfar, after you ask Allah for forgiveness, then no, Allah will never forgive you until you forgive your brother. Never. Forgiveness is conditional upon you offering the forgiveness to your brother, no matter what he did. You know, when Wahshi, that Abyssinian slave who threw the spear and killed Hamza, radiallahu an, the wife of Abu Sufyan paid Wahshi his weight in silver because he knew how to throw that spear. So he, Washi, say he used to run between the lines and he used to wait and see. And then when he got a good opening, he threw that spear and he killed Hamza. He said that was the day, the most regretful day of his life. He said that after he was a Muslim. Then after that, Hind, the wife of Abu Sufyan, who later became a Muslim and made tawbah, she cut open the side of Hamza and took out his liver and ate it raw. Enmity. The Prophet forgave her too. But look, when Washi became a Muslim and he was brought to the Prophet the Prophet looked at him and said, 
just don't just just go away you know just just go away that was his uncle then Allah sent an ayah to the Prophet reminding him that you cannot have this kind of feeling towards someone who have now believed so when the Prophet was reminded by this ayah he called for Wahshi sat him down next to him and kissed him subhanallah come on Muslims Man, ain't nobody man stabbed your uncle. Ain't nobody ate his liver. All this stuff we do, man, is petty. It's really, when you think about it, it's a historical pathology. We need to hate somebody. We need to dislike somebody to justify what we're doing. I say the time today is the time for forgiveness. Lower your guard. Bring the brother in. Let's eat together. Let's talk together. Let's ask the imam. Imam. Call them other imams. Because you got, you got the position to do that. You got the position to do that. Call these other imams together. And be humble. Those who are the strongest men around the imam. He will listen. And tell those other imams with the tall turbans and the long beards and whomsoever that they are. The Maulanas, the Muftis, the Amirs and the, whoever, the, the Mullahs and you know, whoever they are. Tell them that today we want to make peace. From the top to the bottom. So we grassroots people, we start making the peace. You see, from the bottom. See? Then the leaders will get the signal. When the ground start moving, they will get the signal. We want it! They have to do it. Then they will take the signal and the most humble of the leaders who is able to initiate that move among the rest based on his influence on the day of judgment. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, the Prophet said that on the day of judgment, Allah will reserve one of the highest places in paradise for the one who did reconciliation between the Muslims. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, one dua I want to make. We ask Allah that the heart of Imam Abu Bakr Yaseen and his vision, his vigilance, and that his struggles and his sufferings and those whom he loves and whom love him, we ask him that among the things he reflects upon in these days, these, these are the best days, Imam. See, the best days after coming out from the prison, these are the best days now. We ask him to consider this in his reflections, to use the influence of his office, his purpose, his vision, and his influence. Use that to call for reconciliation and sit down. Tawaso! Ta'awan and marhamah and mercy between the believers. Because if he and others begin to initiate that call, the call will reach us and we will meet ourselves. And you're going to see a complete change will happen in this country. This is a small island, man. And I always say to people, there are more people, there are more Trinidadians in Brooklyn than there are in Trinidad. But those that go up north to Brooklyn, I think they're the wrong ones. Allah purify, Allah be purifying your country. 
he'd be sending all young Simbiati boys up there. We Muslims, alhamdulillah, we have the chance. I don't care how many, what the majority is here. The majority never meant nothing to the Prophet, so it don't mean nothing to Allah. How many times have a small band overwhelmed a larger one? But not necessarily by force, by the behavior of the Prophet ﷺ and by the magnitude of their behavior, by the magnitude of their worship. And I say that from what I see, when somebody asks me about Trinidad, I say, the wealth of this country, it ain't the oil. The wealth of the people, the wealth of Trinidad is the people itself. And the wealth of the people is those who believe. So the wealth of the country here, the real wealth is the people who believe in Allah and His Messenger وسلم, All they got to do is bring their fingers together. Those will see, everyone will see. We have to build the real community, not in a place, but we have to build the idea, the concept, the discipline of community, jama'ah. Down here you call it jama'at. Jama'ah. Build the jama'ah. Because Umar ibn Khattab, one of the khulafa, he said there is no Islam without jama'ah. No Islam. He didn't mean there are no five pillars. He didn't mean there's no six articles of faith. That's not what he meant. He meant that the personification of it, the manifestation of it, the institutionalizing of it cannot come about without jama'ah. So we got to be about building the jama'ah. And the jama'ah is not just a group of people who built the mosque and pray inside. Because that's all you got here. I don't mean here, I mean, you know, all over the earth. That's what the Muslims got. Just a building, people pray inside, do some rituals, and come back outside and do their own thing. No, jama'ah has a definition. And what is jama'ah? It is the organized body of Muslims under a leader whom they have swore allegiance to. This is jama'ah. And he said, and there is no jama'ah unless there is an amir. So, we need the jama'ah of Trinidad. All of the masjids, all the organizations, all the leaders, we need all of them to come together by us advising and pushing. You know, that groundswell. We need them to come together. We need to sponsor a summit of leadership. Then, when that summit of leadership comes, then we have to make sure, you know, we got to make sure those leaders can sit where they are for three days, five days. We provide the food and the clothing and the security and the limousines and, you know, where they need to stay. And we wait on them and everything and, you know, so they can be comfortable and they can talk together. Because when they talk together, they will arrive at a decision. And one of them will come out of there as the coordinator of that majlis. And if they come out of there with a coordinator of that majlis, that will be your amir. If they agree for two years at a time or five years at a time or whatever, that's their decision. Nobody can say nothing because 
if they agree upon that, that becomes their supreme council. And that becomes the emir. It can happen like that. But you cannot have a real jama'ah without an emir. So first, establish your jama'ah right here. And obey your emir right here. And call on the other Muslims to establish jama'ah, not organization, and to choose an emir, not just an imam, not just a majlis in the back, a board of trustees, some of them that don't even pray. We know how that go. Robert's Rules of Orders, you know, all that kind of game in the back where people with money come along and put up a building. Then they bring somebody in from this place or that place and make him lead the prayer. And when he want to do something, he got to ask them. Even if he want to order something, he wants some toilet paper for the bathroom. He got to write out a requisition slip to some people that don't shave themselves and people that don't even come pray. People that don't know nothing about Islam. People that's living in houses of river. They the ones that done built it, and he got to do what they say. That's not an emir, that's an imam. No, we want someone who is the emir. And Umar al-Khattab went further and said, there's no emir if he has no amr. Amr, authority. Authority given to him by the people. The people put their hands in the hands of the emir, and they give and invest their resources, their allegiance, their commitment of themselves and their family and what Allah has given them and their trust to the Amir. Now the Amir has Amr because when he makes a Qadha, when he makes a determination by his religious advisors, when he makes a determination, when his hand comes down, it comes down with the hands of the whole community. When his hand comes up, it goes up with the hands of the community. Does he have Amr? Yes. This is where we want to go. Because leadership is the helm of community. And loyalty to that leadership is the fuel that that leadership has to rely upon. Because the community is a vehicle, man. And it needs a driver. But the driver needs some petrol. We the petrol. We the petrol. We give him the gas. He can turn. He can press on the brake or the accelerator. It's up to him. And we just follow. Samawatar. Unless he go to sleep. If he go to sleep and be going, driving crazy. You say, hey brother, I mean, we got to pull you over, man. You going to sleep, man. Omar al-Khattab said, as long as I obey Allah, obey me. But if I go to sleep, wake me up. Somebody stood up and said, yeah, I'm in the If you, if you uh, order us what's right, what Allah and his messenger said, we obey. If you go to sleep, we wake you up on the edge of the sword. So, leadership and loyalty, that is leadership and following. We got to be loyal. Got to be loyal followers. Not loyal because we love him, we loyal because we love Allah and his message, and he representing us. After that, there's accountability. We are, the Amir becomes responsible and we become accountable. You see how that goes? Just like a marriage. Allah said, right? There ain't no one-way street. The men are responsible over the women and the children of the community. But the man, but he is responsible. But they become what? Accountable. Two-way street. That's the deal. That's what loyalty in Islam is. It's not a one-way street. The leader becomes responsible and we become accountable.
Dear brothers and sisters, I say all these things in my own humble opinion, in my own humble commitment. I say this because I am myself making an assessment of myself. In these twilight years, because you're looking at us now, but maybe next year, three years, five years, seven years, some of us won't be here. Because even if we got henna in our beard, you know, because we like that. Because we still qualified. You know, we still can have children, alhamdulillah, and wives, alhamdulillah. And you know, ain't nothing wrong. It's a sunnah of Rasulullah so to use some henna. But don't mistake. We in our twilight years. The Imam said the Dalai Lama movement, 1969. Y'all ain't got to be no mathematicians to understand where we at. That makes us between 55 and 65. The Prophet Sallallahu died at 63, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So what are we doing so deserving that we should live any longer? So Muslims, strike the iron while it's hot. Allah might give you some leadership that is worse. And it'll probably come from some of you that's out there right now. Or he may give you leadership which is better. And it may be that you made the ones that's in leadership better. Oh Muslims, I think that we need a new vision. We need to make an assessment of ourselves. And I use myself as an example. You know, I've tried, you know, to do whatever I could, making my efforts here and there. But I realized, I realized that no matter what you kind of justify that you went through with the brothers, these brothers did that, these brothers did that, man, later for them boys over there, man, the boys are crazy. So and so, and this and that, and so and so, I'm going over there and let, leave them and go back around this way or do my own thing and Allah know best. You keep making them excuses to yourself. But then you start thinking, if you're a real soldier, you start thinking about the movement. How in the world, man, any one of us by ourselves going to establish the movement, man? A lot of the old soldiers is dead, Imam, you know that, right? A lot of the old soldiers is in jail. Got life, can't get out unless Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just come and like, you know, like that prophet, you know, that, uh, what that prophet that, that uh, he made dua and the walls came trembling down. What was that, that prophet? Jericho. Yeah, that prophet, what was that, that was that prophet? Jeremiah. Yeah, that, that could happen. That could happen now. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might send a tsunami. You know what I mean? To knock all the buildings down, the brothers be up out of there. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might cause earthquakes. We don't know what might happen. Allah might change government. Allah could do many things to free our brothers who's behind the walls and inside the ground, wherever they are. Allah can do what he want to do. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, fa'alul lima yureed. He's the doer of whatever he please. La hawla wa la quwwata illa billahi alil azim. But as it stands, many of our great soldiers is dead, gone. Others are incapacitated. And you got a few, a few good soldiers that still standing firm. And I say that we need to look inside ourselves and say, do I think I should be somebody? Do I think the mantle should be passed to me? 
Should I hold myself back because I think I can say, well, oh, Darlene, and he's still saying Zarlene? You know, we into all that kind of stuff, us Muslims. The Imam ain't, he ain't reciting Arabic correctly like them brothers from Medina. The Imam, he ain't got all them surahs. You know, that this, we keep on saying all that stuff because we're just trying to justify why we shouldn't follow. So I decided, and the Imam is a witness. This is my Imam. Imam Alameen Abdul Latif. I ain't the one. Not for, not, not, not for America, I ain't the one. I selected to follow Imam Alameen Abdul Latif because I felt to myself he deserved that. He'd been on that path, right on the path, and he ain't, you know, you know, I've been flying all around the place. I've been down some up some mountains and down some valleys. But the Imam been right on that path. So the one that's been on that path and have arrived at some consistency and has the reputation and holds the more integrity, when you examine yourself and you realize that, then you humble yourself and you follow. So I'm offering you brothers and sisters to think, and I'm telling the leaders of this country to think. Maybe somebody made some mistakes, and whoever made a mistake inside itself know where he made a mistake at. But I do believe in my heart that the people who have been blessed to receive Islam and came from the furthest direction and have been always calling for the establishment of community and always respecting leadership and always wanting to establish the deen, I do believe that they have more right to the leadership of Islam, wherever they are. Only because of that. Then let those people who have the most Quran and have the most Arabic and have learned the Tajweed and learned the Fiqh and Tafsir, let them come and serve if they're not too arrogant. Because I would never tell a soldier, I would never tell a soldier who came from where we came from because of his mistakes, I would never tell a soldier to move over and let some people, just because of their academic, theological sophistication, come along and take the mantle of leadership while they never had no desire to establish this deen in the earth. No. Ask the leader to make Tauber, reconcile, keep your following, range your ranks, purify yourself, get your acts together, Pull back from what you're doing that's wrong. Because you know what's wrong. Pull it back. Give the imam the honor. Give the imam the respect. Give yourself honor. Give yourself respect. If you want to take charge, take charge of yourself, of your family, of your areas, of your community. Bring dignity to Trinidad. Bring dignity to the Caribbean. Bring dignity. Bond with us. North America can come to our hands. We're not talking about rebellion. We ain't talking about overthrowing. We're not talking about that. No. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he can bring the zilzala, you know. Allah can bring that. He can bring birds. Allah can bring what he wants. And it's already happening. Brothers and sisters, we ain't got to throw no stones. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the birds, you know, to the people of the elephant. We ain't got to do that. Allah bring disease on the people who he curses. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have run their ranks rampant. He have destroyed their children. He have destroyed their morals. He have destabilized their families. He have destroyed their churches. They selling their churches to Muslims and we call them the bond in churches that we have turned into masjids. And in North America in particular, just so you see how Allah blessed. Just last year in North America, 78,000 people became Muslims. In spite of our weakness, in spite of our behavior. What do you think will happen if we get our act together? What do you think will happen? Brothers and sisters, there's white folks, black folks, yellow folks, Spanish folks, tall, short, rich, poor, all kind of folks. And I'm telling you, in Iceland, in Norway, in Sweden, in Switzerland, in Australia, in Spain, in Portugal, all over the world, every place I've seen, I've seen the people of Dawa go there. And I've seen people of all colors coming into this dean. Sisters who is white and, 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 and uh, 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 blonde-haired, blue-eyed, sons and daughters of the Vikings taking Shahada and putting on Niqab from us from us this ain't no phenomena for black folks this dean ain't no phenomena for us this dean is for the whole world we just got to wake up and smell a coffee and look outside ourselves Allah is doing something we need to have a new vision we need to widen our vision we need to see really what's going on outside of ourselves. Step outside of Trinidad. Step outside the Caribbean. Step outside your neighborhood. See what the real world, see what's going on. And you see this dean is moving. Don't get hung up on CNN or Fox or ABC, NBC, when they bring you all that television, that media to try to make you depressed, make you feel like, you know, they running through the earth doing whatever they want. No, something else is happening. But we just don't see it. Because we'd be so busy reacting that we can't act. We need not to be reactionaries. We need to be actionaries. That call for planning. That call for organization. That call for discipline. I say we need a new vision. We need a new commitment. We don't necessarily need new leaders. We just need a new vision and a new commitment to establish this dean and the earth. You establish it in the earth where you are. We will establish it in the earth where we are. We will bond with you. And then we will bond with others. And inshallah, our positive flow, our word, our dawah, Allah will see it. Allah will bless it. And you will see the people entering this deen. And when they enter it, we will be able to do something with them. Because right now, people are entering this religion and we can't do nothing with them. Some people be saying, oh, the Sheikh, he gave 15,000 shahadas. Man, I don't want to forget that. Sometimes I be ashamed of that. If Allah, he did that, he did it by his power, his determination. And that ain't nothing because, man, there's hundreds of people out here doing that like me. But what the, what's, the, what's the issue? What's the point? If we bringing people into this deen, man, and we don't straighten out our act, we bringing people into confusion. We ain't able to service the people. We can't serve the people. We're giving people a distorted message. And I say we need a new vision. I say we need a new commitment. We don't need a new leadership. We just need new vision, a new commitment. We have to establish the community. And we have to give loyalty to leadership. 
And we have to remind and advise the leadership that it's a two-way street. We have to help them to organize. And we have to organize. And we have to have forgiveness for each other. And ask for the forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. O Muslims, through our energy and through our resources, we can give strength and we can give power and distinction to the leaders in order that a new vision can be forged in Trinidad. A new vision can be forged in America, North America. And it can then be spread throughout the world because nobody will stop it. Because I say to anybody, when the Homeland Security stop me every time I come in and go out, and they be harassing, going through their stuff that I just said to myself, this is what they got to do. This is their job. I'm doing my job. They got to do their job. But when they ask me things like, why you don't just stay among your own black people? Why you keep going all over the world? You know, I said, what? What I look like? Martin Luther King? What I look like? Marcus Garvey to you? No. I'm a Muslim. I know you know me before I was a Muslim, but somewhere, you know, in your Dartmouth, Harvard, Yale, Princeton thinking, you guys have lost the whole shot. This dean is for the whole earth, man. This dean is a tsunami. That's what I tell him. Now, see what you can do with this tsunami that's on its way. You can't stop it. All you can do is calculate. Calculate. Make preparations for it. Because the tsunami of Islam is coming. It's moving. Take your Doppler equipment and go out there and check it. And see how many miles it is offshore. And I tell them, I'm making preparations for my son, Abdul Hakim. Maybe to marry the granddaughter of George Bush. Yeah. Yeah. Ain't nothing wrong with that because if she do that, you know, her name probably going to be Fatima. And it's all right if her grandfather was Bush. Won't make no difference. Because that's how the dean works. This dean is more powerful than Bluetooth. It's more powerful than infrared. It's more effective. And the prophet saw him promised. He promised that this dean will penetrate every house and everywhere the sun set in the east and the west until it reach and penetrate every place. Allah inspired his prophet to tell us that and it's moving like that. But Muslims, will we be the beneficiaries of that or will we simply be the father? We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless the Imam. Bless his office and his responsibility here. To give him long life and give him good health. We ask him for people who will support him in a new vision. A new vision which is the outgrowth of the vision he always had. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help him to advise, stimulate the other leaders to do their job 
so that we have the proper representation for what we need to do. Then I advise all the Muslims, again, put your differences to the side if you can. Humble yourself. Hug your brother and sister. Go eat with them. I don't care what color they are, what they did to you, where they're from and all that there. Initiate and be tolerant and to be patient. And be prepared for this new vision and this new commitment. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless this house and to expand it. And if there was some damage done to it, to repair it. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to expand the land that it sits upon. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to cause the influence of it to go from one end of this island to the other. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the women and the children who are under our responsibility that we will empower them. We ask Allah that our young people, that they will put down the wrong tools and pick up the right tools. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that they will purify themselves and seek to empower themselves with things that are lawful in order to stay away from that which is unlawful. And I leave you with the dua of the Prophet that Aisha anha said that the Prophet used to make after every prayer. Allahumma a'inni a'udhu bika min alhamni wa huzni wa azubin ajazi wa kasri wa azubin ajubni he said, Allah, I seek refuge in you from anxiety and grief, from lack of strength and laziness, from niggardliness and from cowardice, from being overpowered by death and by the oppression of men. O oh Allah, suffice me with what is lawful in order to keep me away from what is unlawful and with your grace and benevolence make me free and independent from anything and everyone except you. It's a powerful dua. O Muslims, Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika wa nashadu an la ilaha illa ant wa nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilaik wa assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.